the best advice I could give is um, check your heart. Make sure your motivation is to serve people with your words, not, not simply promote your own ideas. Hey, Trevin. Hey, Jeff. How are you, man? Doing good. How are you? Doing great. How's Nashville treating you? Nashville is great as always. You know, Nashville, I, I love the city. I've been there probably three times. And I would say after New Orleans, I think it's my favorite city in the United States. Well, it's not just you. There's a lot of people moving here. That's for sure. Number one, I mean, a lot of great guys are there, of course. And lots of great brothers and sisters in Christ live there. But man, Hattie B's chicken. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Oh, man. I haven't had the KFC uh, version yet, but I figure what's the point? I mean, yeah. Hattie, Hattie B's hot chicken is enough reason to go to Nashville. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So for people out there listening who don't know who you are, would you mind just telling us who you are, family, your job? Yep. So um, our name is Trevin Wax. Um, I am uh, the managing editor for The Gospel Project. That is my main role at Lifeway. I also do some um, author and editorial development at Lifeway as well. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Karina, and we have three kids, Timothy, Julia, and David, live in Middle Tennessee. Um, I've spent some time overseas uh, in Romania for several years, uh, back about 10 years ago, and that's where I met my wife. That's where we uh, got married. Uh, we were living there at the time uh, we had our, our first son. And um, so, yeah, but my, my main role right now is uh, to be an author and editor. And so I get to do both of those things, which I enjoy very much. Now, now, what's something that Trevin Wax does for fun that maybe we out there in the Twitterverse that we may not know about? Oh, you know, that's, that's a good question. I, I feel like I, I, I try to tweet things when I'm having fun. So um, oh, I'd, I'd say one of the things that I do often is um, I like to uh, ride my bike on the greenway uh, down by the river. It's yeah. just a way to sort of clear my mind. I, li- I love to go out and do that with, with uh, my kids when they're wanting to ride bikes. Also walk a lot. That's fun for me, just to to get out and to think and to to walk. And then um, my son and I lately have been have been really battling each other in Clash Royale. So this what is um, that? I don't know if you're familiar no. with Clash of Clans or like this. Okay, okay. well, okay. Uh, it's one of these one of these time consuming, somewhat addictive collection. It's like a card game, except it's it's uh, an app and okay. very popular, very famous. It's like Candy Crush for guys who want to be warriors against each other, basically. So, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so that's been fun lately. Yeah, okay, cool. So when, when you're out on the bike or you're out walking and you get ideas, do you have like a commonplace book? You hear a lot of writers talk about that, or maybe it's just Evernote, something hits you or an illustration, or you, you see a bird and you're like, oh, I should write a post about, you know, look at the birds or whatever. No, I mean, when, I don't have anything that I immediately put that in. Um, I have a, a scratch pad back in, in my home office where um, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll write something. I'll write just like the one phrase that will keep me clued into that idea. Um, but, but the way I look at it is um, if, if I can't remember the idea that has come to me yeah. um, a few hours or days later, it probably wasn't that good. Yeah, so, that's true. Usually, usually they stay in my mind if, if they're going to eventually make it into some kind of writing. So now you, you also write for your blog at the Kingdom People, right, at the Gospel Coalition. That's right. And you've also written a handful of books. So would you mind just refreshing us on the books you've written? 
Sure. So um, my first um, uh, book was um, Holy Subversion, which is a book um, Crossway published it back in 2010. Uh, basically a book on, on different idols in our world and how we as Christians can subvert those idols through the way that we live. Um, 2011, I did a book called Counterfeit Gospels, which um, is was trying to give a take on what the biblical gospel is and all of its glory and robustness in order to make the cheap counterfeit gospels that sort of wind up in our churches and in our culture mm. look less fulfilling and actually show them to be not as glorious as the true gospel. Um, then I wrote um, Clear Winter Nights uh, in 2013 was um, um, my first stab at fiction. It's so, I, say, I say fiction, it's, it's kind of a mix of both. It's like an apologetics book wrapped in a fictional form. Mm. So um, I wanted to take that Socratic method of dialogue and learning where you have like an older, wiser figure and you have a younger person. And I wanted to flesh the, I wanted the book to mainly be dialogue, but to flesh out the characters a little bit. So um, I did that in 2013. And then I also did a, a short book for small group leaders called Gospel Center Teaching, uh, which is just basically a primer on, you know, what do we mean when, when pastors use that phrase? You know that we want to be gospel centered in our teaching and preaching and things like that. I wanted I wanted the lay people that that um, lead Bible studies every week, uh, or maybe they're in kids ministry or leading students or, or whatever. I wanted them to be able to have a, a little book that explained what that lingo is all about. Just really simply, you don't have to have a seminary degree. Make it short, concise, just a primer. So I did that. So the, those are the the four main books that I've written, and then I've contributed to a bunch of stuff and um, uh, wrote a curriculum with J.D. Greer on the Holy Spirit and have done some things like that. But uh, those are the four the four main ones. Yeah, I loved I loved Gospel Center teaching. It is so short and so good, man. You did a great job at distilling that for everybody because it is a confusing term. And, and so it, I think it was just really great work on, on helping us grasp what it means when we say gospel-centered and then what gospel-centered teaching should look like. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's that was the goal. That's what I wanted to accomplish through that. So um, I'm glad that people have found it helpful. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you're listening along, you can go. Also, be on my blog and on the SoundCloud site, and it should even I think be in the iTunes description. You can click right there and go find uh, a link to go buy that book on Amazon. And now I saw recently on your blog that you're working on a new book. Can, can you tell us about and, and what you're working on? I am. I am. Right now, the, the working title is um, This Is Our Time, and uh, the subtitle will be something about myths of our culture, hope of the gospel kind of a thing. Um, the, the, the goal of this book is really to give a snapshot of our society today and to help people understand what is in the, the myths that are out in our society, uh, sort of the cultural narratives, the, the stories that we live by. What are the? I, I want to help Christians identify the longings that we find in those cultural stories, and also the lies that are in those cultural stories by bringing the light of the gospel to those things. So I've got a chapter devoted to technology, primarily our phones, mm. because that's where we both. That's kind of where we interface with technology the most. Yeah. Um, I've got a chapter on entertainment, um, purpose of life, um, sex, marriage. You know, uh, ideas of progress in our society, consumerism, things like that. Uh, I wanted to really make this accessible. Uh, for the people, like the, just the people in my life group that I lead every week, to be able to hand them a book to say, here, I want you to be oriented to the time that we live in and to take a look at this, read this, and this to help you be faithful in the time that we live in, in the world that God has placed us in. Mm, that's good. And when do you think that that's going to come out? 
It should be uh, April of next year. Okay. So a little less than a year out. Okay. I got I got to finish it first. I'm yeah. still still working on it. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about that. I think it's a good thing. So here we go. Hey, got a guy on on the podcast. He's in the work of of writing a book. Kind of and Barnabas was working on his too and and Jared seems to always be working on a book. Oh, Jared or, or writes something. more than I can read, I think. I know he he sneezes and a book comes out, you know, like <laughs> there right. they are, you know. He's just there everywhere. And so what what does that process look like for you? In the day-to-day, because you, you still have your job at Lifeway and, and ma- managing the Gospel Project and what's going on there. So what does the, the life of Trevor Wax, the writer, look like right now? So that's a, that's a great question. With, blogging is different than book writing and definitely different than editing. So um, blogging is sort of something I'm doing all the time. It's just a constant, a constant thing that I've got. When it comes to a book, though, um, there's a level of concentration and um, intensity that comes with writing a book that's different than any other kind of writing, different than editing, different than blogging. Um, and I've, I have found that um, the last, really the last three books that I've done, um, and this one as well, so that'll be, this will be the fourth that I've done, I have got to, to, to get a book going, I have got to get away I've got to do a lot of prep work and I've got to know where I'm going and sort of have some some semblance of an outline or a feel for where I'm going, even if I wind up disregarding parts of that. I've got to get away and, and really just take a stab at getting um, a lot of it out there. So um, I did that with Counterfeit Gospels. I wrote the bulk of that book was written in two, um, two subsequent weeks, three days um, in Southern Seminary's library, oh, wow. where I was just, I mean, just as much as I could possibly get done in that amount of time. I did something similar with Clear Winter Nights, the fiction book. Um, I, I went away to my great aunt Mabel's house in uh, Tennessee, Monterey, Tennessee, which wow. was the setting for the book. It was actually oh, wow. the house that the book took place in. What a great name for your aunt. Yeah, aunt great Mabel. aunt Mabel. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, she was great. Um, and then I've done something similar with this book. Um, I got away for... Uh, really for four days, actually, to, to at least get most of the, an initial just sort of a, just something on the computer, something there that I can then work with after that. Yeah. Uh, and then the, and then from that point on, I've, I go back through and I just, I work hard at, uh, it's like I've, I've, I've put together the clay in the initial run. And then from that point on for weeks and months, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to sculpt something out of that. I that think, it's publishable. I think the editing process is almost as painful, if not more painful, than just the process of filling up the pages. Yeah, there, it's a different kind of work, right? So you go into a, it's a different kind of gear. And I know, I know different writers do this differently. So um, I, I was talking to Mike Cosper recently, and he does, not, he does not do what I do, where you sort of just like write a whole book in a weekend, um, and, and, and it's that loose. He, he will take chunks of books and write them and then go back and refine and edit and work them out and Mm -hmm. then kind of do that um piece by piece so i just people are different in the way that they they handle this for me uh, both the writing and the editing can be very time consuming very difficult because you go back and forth between thinking um you know this is this is going to be all right i actually like this i would actually read this to then thinking oh this this is crap no one's going to terrible this This is terrible yeah so, so you've got to get over that sort of volleyball match going on in your head, and you just got to get the work done. Yeah, like it got to the point when, with uh, my first book, Gospel Formed, 
when the, the third round or second round of edits, I can't remember. I was just sick of looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't even want to look at it anymore. Going, I just I felt incapable to even edit it. I was tired of reading it. I was just ready to move on to the next project. I was just on to Cincinnati. You know, like let's just yeah. move on. To- totally understand that, and that's that's one reason why it's good to have a little time built in so that you can actually put down certain chapters or put down parts of the book and not see them for a while. And then when you come back to them and you read them later, that third or fourth time, fifth time sometimes, yeah, um, it, you're you're coming to it with fresh eyes rather than under the gun of of the time constraints. Yeah, I'll read some of the stuff now and be like, oh yeah, I forgot I said that, or yeah, I forgot I wrote about that. Like that's that's fun. I actually like that. Okay, now let's talk about the Gospel Project. So this is a wonderful just gift to the to the church. Our church uses it, and we our our kids love it, and I'm I'm grateful as one of the pastors and as, and as a parent at our church that we're teaching this to our kids. But this is a big writing project. And so are, are you an editor or how does your, how do you play into that? It is. So I, I, um, pri- primarily I am an editor. So I review all of the kids material and make suggestions usually at the outset so that I kind of know where it, I, I set the, I help set the vision so that we all know where we're going what the outlines are, what the stories are, all of that thing. So big picture. And then at the end, I usually, I, I'll do a run through and edit uh, the kids material. Uh, just basically just a final review before it goes to print with um, uh, students and adults. It's a little more intense. So with adults um, with that part of the curriculum, I, um, I do an initial run through edit then it goes through a series of different content and production editing. And then I see it again on the tail end before it goes to print. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm more heavily involved in the edits there with adult and student works off of what we do uh, with the adult curriculum. And then I, I review all of their, their work as well. So a lot of review, a lot of editing, a lot of finessing and working with authors. And, and one of the things you, about curriculum is uh, people come to expect not just authors to they they don't expect to just open up a gospel project curriculum for adults and really get a sense of the different authors. The gospel project itself has its own sort of feel and its own brand, its own, um, its own take on things. And so, um, I, I'm sometimes I'm taking authors work and I'm, I'm trying to make sure that it fits that overall ethos and yeah. feel of the gospel project to, to the point people will actually say, um, I'm surprised by the gospel project take on this passage, you know, mm. and I'm like, well, that's the author's take on that passage and, you know, not the gospel project, yeah, but that's, yeah. that's just how people see it is that it's one big thing. So I'm really, res- I'm the one who's mainly responsible for keeping that consistent and coherent and together to have that one voice be prominent. And I think that's a really helpful, just a little conversation right now to think about editors and that, you know, this is a podcast on writers and writing, but without editors, there wouldn't be much writing out there today. Like we need editors and they are kind of the unsung heroes of, of people's books. You know, editors hardly ever get mentioned in, in the acknowledgements or you know, books probably aren't dedicated to editors, but man, we need editors. And so if anyone out there is listening, I'm not sure if I'm a writer. I don't, I think, you know, try your hand at editing, you know, so you can, you do both. So how would you tell someone whether they should, you know, decide and try to discern their calling. Are they more of a writer or are they more of an editor? 
Yeah, I I think um, that, that's it's hard to to give like a a simple outline of which way you might lean on that. Um, I work with some editors who would would say we are editors. That's what we do. We make good writing better. We don't write. They're not particularly. They don't see themselves as writers. They see themselves as editors. Um, I, I, on the other hand, I, I see myself as both. And so one of the things I'm doing when I edit is I'm somehow, I'm sometimes going back through and I'm, you know, if, if the author hasn't given me exactly what I need, I'm going to, I'm going to somehow make that exactly what we need mm. for, for the gospel project. So, um, if, if you love working with words and you love making good writing better, um, as an editor, you love, sh- you know, shaping it sharpening it, um, uh, crafting it, going back through and, and working that, then y- you might, but you don't really have a lot of passion for writing your own ideas. Um, I think the editor might be, that might be a great role for you, you know, if that's where your passion lies. If on the other hand, you're the ideas person and you want to get stuff out and you want to, um, it, you love words, but you also, you love really the creating stage, not just the forming stage, then, then more than likely, say you're you're more of the the writer type and then there are some people that that love to do both and that that get involved in both yeah and now how how did you become a writer um i i the first time i ever thought of myself was a writer was when i was six years old and i wrote a story in the first grade and i let some people read it and i remember just the i remember the feeling as a six-year-old of the excitement of Having created something, wow. created characters, you know, having a having a, a sense, an idea of the kinds of things I could do, and then in second, third, fourth grade, fifth grade, I would start writing these stories. Usually, they were serial type stories, so that they would like there would be episodes that would follow, um, and then I did that all the way. I mean, into doing creative writing into high school. Um, I, I loved writing from a young age. I liked, I liked reading too. I liked reading mostly just normal kids type kids books and stuff, but, um, I didn't get into reading really seriously until I got to, to Romania. But as far as writing is concerned, I just, I always have thought of myself as, uh, since, since the first grade really as being someone who loves to put words down on paper and see what happens and see how people respond and how they react. And so, um, blogging for me was the perfect medium for me to to test out ideas and to you know put some words down and to get immediate feedback. I mean, and then to go back and then sharpen my ideas and my writing through that. And so, uh, blogging ha- was was great to to help break me into writing at you know at, at a level that eventually would would allow for me to do some books and some other things. So let's say you know a guys listening, gals listening, and they. They think they're a writer. They're starting to tinker around with some stuff, and and they're what should they do? Should they start a blog? Do you think you think blogging still matters? Is that a still decent platform, or or do a medium? Like, how can they get into, you know, I guess more formal, and maybe even the the point where they'll get paid for writing? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I would not I would not um, advise anyone to expect to to make their full living on writing. Unless you're someone like John Grisham, I, I don't think uh, you are, are likely going to be able to make a living just writing. So writing has to be a passion that you're going to do no matter what. I mean, when I started my blog, I was working at Cracker Barrel. I was in seminary. I mean, I, I wrote because I just, I had to write. I wanted to write. 
Um, so, so I'd first say, you know, kind of make sure that you've got priorities of putting food on the table and feeding your family and not, you know, that being first and writing being something that, that you're passionate about. Uh, but the other, the other thing I would say is that, um, you, you might've heard of the, you know, the 10,000 rule that, um, oh, yeah. uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about, um, uses that as an example of how the Beatles got to be so good before they were actually amazing. It was just, I mean, they just worked. They just did so much playing in Germany and in Liverpool before they wound up getting on the big stage. Um, there's something blogging. I think blogging is great. Even if no one reads your blog, if you're doing it constantly, uh, writing constantly in that format, you're, you're, you're having to, to hone your skills as a writer. And that is invaluable. So, so I would encourage people to, to, to do it. I, I have people contact me constantly. They want to start a blog. They have a book idea or whatnot. And I mean, I can count, I can count on two hands the people that I've sat across from at a restaurant who have wanted to write, who have told me that they're going to write. They want to start a blog. And, they, um, and I'll tell them, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to write, go write 25 posts uh, get a whole month's worth of posts out uh, where you've you've written this much on you know different topics and kind of the theme that you want your blog to be, and then consider launching a blog. Yeah, what they and say? I, Did they go? Ugh. I, no, I mean most of them are like, yeah, great idea. You know, go ahead and get an archive together and all that. Almost never though. Yeah. Do they come back and be like, well, here's what I did. Look, I've launched. I've got my archives. I can think of I can count on one hand the 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 people who came back and who actually um, tried something like that. Yeah. Almost never does that happen. Yeah. So okay. a lot of people have a great idea, but they're 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 not really wanting to write yet. Yeah, I'm I'm 31 right now. My first book came out I think like 27 or 28 or something like that. And I remember sitting with a guy who's in his 40s. He's like, oh man, I wish I I wish I would have started writing like earlier. I wish I would have done it. I was like, brother, you're not dead. Like God, God hasn't like brought you home. You know, you can go now after our lunch, go, go back and start writing. And I think, you know, when we have a lot of younger guys at our church who are interested in writing and, and talk to guys and church planning conferences who are interested in writing, just tell them, start with your local church. Like go to your elders or go to, go to one of your pastors and say, I'd like to write for the, our church somehow. Is there anything I could do to use my gift of writing? Can I write a devotional? Can I write something that will bless our church? Do you want me to write sermon, like application questions for you? I mean, just anything, because I think we should try to look at our local churches and go, how can I bless my local church with with the gift of writing? That's great, and I think that's the right posture to have. Instead of you know trying to make it big as a writer, I, I think the first place you start is how can how can I serve people? You know, how can I serve people through my blog or through a Facebook post or through a devotional on our church website? I mean, that's, that's really where you've got to start. Um, cause that'll keep you going too, when it's not really, it's not paying off. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not something that, that is it showing you initial, you know, the kind of response that, that you would love to see. If you, if you really do it as a servant, then that will keep you going when, um, you're, you're, you're seeing it bear fruit in the lives of people, whether or not it's actually, uh, becoming a career for you. Yeah, that's good. Now, what do you think is the the hardest part about writing for you? Oh, the whole process is hard and can be grueling at times. Um, I, for me, there's a thrill at the beginning stage of writing 
um, that overcompensates, I think, for the, the hard part of getting it out. I think the drudgery of working through the manuscript and just having to edit you know, the, the initial thoughts that you've had, I think that can be, that can be really difficult. Um, I, I'm not someone who actually enjoys the process of writing all that much. Mm. I, I like, I like ideas. I like sentences. I like seeing ideas get shaped into words and then get onto, you know, get into either a digital or a, a print format and then watching wh- how, what people do with that and how it may minister to them, um, how it may change them, how it may, inspire them, provoke them, challenge them. That's what I like. Um, so I'm one of these guys who I don't like writing so much as I like having written hmm. and getting to the having written stage is it, for me is enough of a joy there that it, it'll, it'll make me work through the, the difficult process yeah. of writing because I love those ideas so much. Oh, that's good. So I, I love to ask, you know, people what they think are some of their favorite books on writing. So some guys have read a lot of books on writing, maybe just a handful. Uh, what are some of your favorite books on writing? One of the early ones that I read that my, my dad actually gave me a copy of, uh, gosh, it's probably been 15 years ago now, um, was um, Words Fail Me by Patricia O'Connor. Okay. Very fun book on just the skills and what makes for good writing, bad writing, why you should ignore some of the things you learned in English class, um, that. And so Words Fail Me Fail Me is a favorite I've read several times. Um, I, I recently read sort of to rev me up for writing this next project. I read Stephen King's book on writing, oh, which so I've heard so many people talk about. I can't give it like a hearty recommendation cause it's got some language and some, yeah. some stuff in it. But I, as far as just the overall the kind of sitting down and getting into the magic of what's happening, uh, that's a great, great yeah. memoir. Um, there, there's some other ones too. I mean, there's classics I read last year. I read on writing well, the censors book, mm-hmm. uh, a little dated in a few places, but still, still really good. Um, the, the elements of style is of course, another classic one that, yeah. that that's strunk and white is the other one you're talking about. Yep. Strunk yep. and white out uh, wordsmithy by, by Doug Wilson yeah. is a good little read. That, that's just, in my top three. Yeah. It's just great, great writing advice. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I like these books that that not only tell me how to to write, but also get me revved up and inspired to write. I think yeah. that's that's one of the things I look for in a good yeah, writing book. Like, Strunk and White, I feel like, is kind of it's like looking at a blueprint of a building. That's right. It's like here's how you use commas. Here are some of the rules. Important stuff for sure. But then you get a book like Doug Wilson's Wordsmithy, and that's like looking at the completed building with amazing architecture and. Because he's not only teaching you writing, he's showing you just such salty and bright and colorful and fun writing that just makes yep. you sit back and go, man, this was a good sentence. It's it's true. And I and you need both of those. Like you, good writing books, some books you need the blueprint, right? But other books you need the you need the good sentences like in Wordsmithy, or you need what Stephen King, you know, talks about, um, where you've got a memoir. It's like writing within the context of a life. That I think is is fascinating, and then Patricia O'Connor ha- uses humor to get across her points. And so, yeah, I all, all of those you can't go wrong with those. You just need to know like what exactly you're going to the writing book for yeah. in order to know what you're going to get out of it. There's another one that a lot of people don't know about, and I think Jim Hamilton was the one at Southern. He he had kind of mentioned it to me. Was so Doug Wilson and his son and D they have a book? I think it's called On Rhetoric. 
Uh, yeah, the Rhetoric Companion. Yes, I think is that's it. Yes. Yeah. And it's got little exercises in there. And yeah. those are really helpful. It's a great resource. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So people, you should, you should check that out. Now, and Nate, and Nate is one of my favorite writers. Oh, I, I yeah. love his, his writing. Yeah, he's, he's so good. He, his fiction stuff is, is really neat, which I, I've, I've kind of looked at, just haven't gone all the way through. But man, Notes from a Tilt-A-Whirl, his first, uh, I guess, nonfiction book was incredible. Yeah, and Death by Living is is fantastic too. Um, he he is one of my favorite. Nate Wilson is one of my favorite people to read because similar to Chesterton, who is perhaps the the person I'm going to have as a companion, uh, reading uh, com- someone who's who's forming me over the next few years. But like Chesterton, Nate Wilson helps me come alive to the wonder of existence. Yeah, and the beauty of truth in ways that are that very few authors are able to. To completely do. That's mm. one of the reasons I'm, I'm so, I, I so love their work. Yeah. What a great vision that I think he does do that. He just kind of yeah. helps you peel back and see, man, we live in an amazing world that God has made and it's an amazing thing to be a human. Yeah. And, and I think he shows more than just tells. And that's one of the, the, the brilliant aspects of, of his writing uh, is that you feel that weight and wonder of existence instead of him just saying it. Okay, so you mentioned Chesterton, someone that's influencing you. So I'm guessing, are you reading through Chesterton stuff right now? Yeah, I've, I'm actually in the in the middle of a. It's going to be multi. It's going to be multiple years. It's going to take, um, but I'm I'm going to read through everything he wrote. Wow. Um, it, the great thing about reading Chesterton is that he didn't just write in one genre of of work. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm part. Of, I'm going to the Chesterton Society. Uh, that meets in Nashville, and right now we're reading Father Brown stories. So I've got detective stories on the one hand. You've got mm-hmm. his apologetics type work, like Orthodoxy, Heretics, The Everlasting Man. On the other hand, you've got his biographies. I mean, Francis of Assisi is mind blowing for me. Uh, that biography, I read it twice last year. Um, Saint Thomas Aquinas, you know Charles Dickens, all of his biographical work, and then you've got his essays that he would contribute to newspapers throughout his lifetime, which are similar to like blogging. It was similar yeah. to the blog format from a hundred years ago. And I, I'm reading that stuff just like, wow, like the insights that he was just having on a weekly yeah, basis amazing. coming out in these, in these things. And then he's got his poetry. Um, I, and then he wrote a play. I mean, it's just, there's hardly any kind of literature that he did not do. Yeah. And in some respect do well, you know, he, he got his novels as well. So, um, so yeah, Chesterton is one of the most well-rounded writers I have ever come across. Um, and I find so much in his work that is insightful, that makes me think. Um, but then also, he's one of the guys, like I said about Nate Wilson, that just fills me with gratitude and joy uh, of, of life, of existence, of the wonder at the world that we live in. And that's why I keep going back to him. Yeah, and it seemed like Lewis, him and Lewis, guys that were kind of the the lanes that they wrote in were so diverse. You know, same with Lewis, who was writing kid stories and also writing serious, you know, apologetics work and also writing stuff on the 16th century, you know, medieval literature. Just the, the breadth that these guys could write in. Do we have anyone like that today in Christianity? I don't know. Um, I don't know. It, I, I see people try to jump across streams and, and do that. So, I mean, I, Piper has tried his hand at some poetry. 
Um, Randy Alcorn will do, you know, real theological, almost textbook type books on heaven or suffering and things like that. And then he can also do some fiction and do it fairly well. I, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's tough to find people that are as well-rounded as, as, um, as those guys were. Yeah. And uh, Lewis, when, when I read, I love Lewis. He's one of my favorite writers to read. He's so good. So good. It's almost like it's in the background of my, my mind now, all the Lewis that I've read. Today when I read Lewis, though, I read, if, I feel like I'm reading Chesterton 2.0. Yeah. Because so much, of, so many of his insights come from Chesterton. Chronological snobbery, uh, seeing through the myth of progress, things like that. I mean, there, so much of what Lewis does, you can, I can see the, the tracing of, of Chesterton's thought, um, on him and Tolkien as well. So, mm. uh, some people actually think that Tolkien, his Lord of the Rings is based heavily on Chesterton's Ballad of the White Horse, which was very much, was very popular during World War One when Tolkien and Lewis and some of these guys had such formative experiences. So anyway, just fascinating to read those guys at the, what they could do at the diversity, uh, the diversity of their output is, is phenomenal. And I don't, I don't know that we, there's anyone quite like that today. I I wonder if, if Nate Wilson will be that like 10, 15 years from now. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, you've got guys like him, you've got guys like Andrew Peterson as well, Mm -hmm. who are doing, song and poetry on the one hand and then children's fiction on the other. Uh, so we do have guys that are doing this. Jonathan Rogers has written great work on Flannery O'Connor, you know, biographical kind of essay kind of form. And then he's also got children's fiction. Um, yeah, I, there are some people out there. It's just, um, we live in such a specialized world. It, it's just harder for people to, to, um, to, for a publisher to take the risk on someone yeah trying to to jump into another format i mean i know this firsthand i tried it a little bit at least with with clear winter nights it's 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 really tough yeah yeah like i have a, a children's a toddler's book with a christocentric creation and one publisher got really close to doing it but it is it's just a gamble and that was one of jared wilson's comments on the same kind of question that just the way the publishing industry is today he's like i just don't think that kind of author could exist yeah it's it's really it, it's tough and i mean there are people that that would there are some people today that appreciate Chesterton though only for one side of his output, mm. right? They only will read Orthodoxy, um, or they own they're they're a big Father Brown fan, but they don't read anything else that he did, you gotcha. know. Or uh, so so yeah. So even now, in the way that we in the way that we go back to some of these older authors, we're more likely to appreciate only one aspect of their output. Yeah, yeah we Lewis should not. Lewis is an anomaly. Lewis is different. We we appreciate different forms of Lewis's stuff, but anyway. Yeah, I agree. It seems like with with Chesterton or some of these guys, we we cut the crust off and eat what we like. But with Lewis, we leave the crust on and, and just go for it. Yep, it's very true. Okay, so you mentioned Chesterton and Lewis. What are some other writers who really influenced you? Um, I, I love John Stott. Um, I, I like Stott for being profound and simple. Yeah, he, he's he's profound in his insights and yet simple in his delivery. Um, just I think he, uh, of anyone that I've read in the past few years, um, he is one who is able to combine those two things in ways that, um, it, uh, that in, in, in ways that make it look easy. But it's, those of us who write know how hard that really is to do. 
Um, so Stott, his his commentary on Sermon on the Mount, for example, is oh, yeah. masterful. Yeah, I also contemporary Christian, uh, where he taught he has that concept of double listening, and he's going through and he's just he's just giving you the basics of a missional gospel centered kind of theology and cultural engagement, but he's doing it. And it, it's 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 at a basic level, but the insights are so profound there. Um, so I, I would I'd put Stott up there as as someone who who's been a, a big influence. I I went through a period where I read just about everything he wrote um, to 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 work through. And so yeah, Stott Stott would be would be one I would I'd put up there as a big influence. Cool. Now now you wrote an article with three kinds of writers, and I remember reading this. It ha- this article is maybe, I don't know, a couple years old? Maybe something like that. When did you publish this thing? Oh, five yeah, years old. Yeah, it's been a few years. Over. It'll be it'll be six years old this September. And I remembered it, and it's just stuck with me. Three kinds of writers. So either you're a microwave kind of writer, crockpot, or stir fry. Now, so you say the microwave writer is somebody who writes well under pressure. And what, what do you usually mean by that? What do you think? Well... A microwave writer I think of is is someone who um, who almost needs the deadline and can put out amazing work in a short amount of time. Like the pressure actually makes the writing better. They're they're so I know I know some people that are like this. Their best work is going to come in that kind of environment, it, and it'll be on par with anything that that another writer will have needed weeks or months to put out. Um, it's, it's basically, that's, that's how they write is they, they put it all out there at once and they run through and they're able to, to edit quickly. And that's how they, that's how they write. Chesterton was a microwave writer. When I look at his, his output, he had a person that he took dictate, that took dictation for him and cleaned up a few things, but he basically, he would write and speak and the, the stuff that would come out, you would look at and say, how in the world did this come out with so little editing? But that's just that's what they need. I mean, it's, it's like, oh, I need to have an, an article into today's newspaper that I'm on contract with. So let me go ahead and put it out and I would do it in a number of hours and be done. Um, so that, that's that's the microwave writer. OK, now Crock-Pot, the right slowly over a long period of time. Tell us about the Crock-Pot right. writer. Yeah, Crock-Pot writer is like you put the meat in and you let it season and you let it sit and you let it stew and you maybe you write for a little bit and then you step away and you come back and you write a little more and then you, um, you step away again or you know you write and you just let it stew and you go back and you, you're thinking so much on these on these things that you your output may not be that you write as much but what you write is is very profound because it's something that you have thought about you've lived with for a long long period of time and then stir fry writing quickly at the outset and leaving time for appropriate seasoning. So, so tell us about the stir fry. Yeah, that's. I think that's the the kind of writer I am. Is where I get all of the meat and the ingredients and vegetables or whatever into the uh, put it into the pan, and then and I get it going. I get it heated up, and then I go back through and I, I I'm going to season. I'm going to get it to the right temperature. I'm going to um, make that meat tasty. So I I think of myself as a stir fry writer, similar to what I mentioned earlier is where I'm going to go ahead and in, in a weekend maybe, I'll give you all the ingredients that I'm going to use. But I'm going to need a lot of time to season that and to go back through and to, to get that to the right temperature and, and get it to where it needs to be. Make sure that the taste is exactly what it, what it should be. So um, stir fry is, 
kind of a combo of microwave and crockpot. It's microwave in that you first get everything out there, but then it's yeah. crockpot, and then you got to let it sit and season for a while. And that, that's why I think of myself as, as that category. Yeah, that's good. I, I think that's probably what I am too, because I think I'm microwave for getting everything out there. And then when the editing, I'm like a crockpot. Yep. Like, let's go through this slowly, meticulously, see if there's any word pictures I can improve on, any synonyms. How can I say this better in, in a more vivid way? Now, do you think, do you take on different avenues of writing before a blog post? So are you, are you like a microwave for a, a blog post, but then, you know, stir fry for a book or do you, is it different? That's a good, that's a good question. I'm, I'm definitely stir fry for a book. I'm, I'm getting to the point. I, I think I would say that for a while I was probably stir fry on blogging as well. Cause I used to blog way out in advance and then I would go back and I would work on them for a while. Oh, wow. Um, I'm doing that less and less now. And it may just be the fact that I've, I'm blogging, I've blogged enough that I, I really, I get that format and medium easier, but I'm more of a microwave blogger now, I would say. I, I I can I can do a a fairly decent blog post in a short amount of time. I think um, there are some blogs where I'm, I need I need a little more time. They're crockpot kind of blogs, and so um, today, for example, I I posted something um, that I needed a lot of time to really think through and wrestle with, and it didn't take me a lot of time to write the post, but I'd been collecting my thoughts on it for a long yeah. time. Yeah, that's so good. it just depends. It just depends. So as we as we come to the close, I always like to end with this 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 last question. What advice do you have for for an aspiring writer? Uh, the the best advice I could give is um, check your heart. Make sure your motivation is to serve people with your words, not not simply promote your own ideas. I think that's the 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 main thing I would start with. Um, and the second piece of advice would simply be to write a lot. Write even if no one's reading. Write to get better at the craft. Write to be a good writer, no matter if anyone reads you or not. I think that's, um, if you want to, to be in a, I think there are a lot of people that's, that are in the position of wanting to be an aspiring writer um, who aren't necessarily disciplined enough to turn off the TV, turn out, tune out the distractions, um, not play that, you know, that particular game and just really sit down and actually do the work of writing. And so the other piece of advice would be, you know, combine that heartfelt desire to serve people with the um, discipline and diligence it takes to actually get the work done. And if you can, if you can really do both of those things, then I, I think that's, that's the best, the best place to be because you're using your gifts and talents and work hard work uh, in service of other people. Man, that's great advice. Really great advice. Trevin, thank you so much, man. I'm grateful for you and your blog and, and your books and for the Gospel Project and all that you and many others do uh, for the church at Lifeway. So thank you so much, brother. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Home Row. Please go to iTunes and leave a rating so uh, news can spread and the podcast will go into the ears of many more. Thank you so much.